I want to propose a toast to a nice guy who's about to finish last. Destroy Superman. the nerds who haunt themselves. I'm Stuart Moraine and I'm a Superman fan, which is lucky as for this year's summer specials we're taking a look at the cinematic adventures of the Man of Tomorrow, from 1978's Superman the Movie to 2013's Man of Steel, with a stop off in 1993 for the Lois and Clark pilot along the way too. There are some super anniversaries to celebrate this year with Superman himself turning 85, Superman the Movie celebrating its 45th anniversary, Superman 3 its 40th anniversary, the Lois and Clark pilot its 30th anniversary, a Man of Steel hitting its 10th anniversary too. So 2023 seemed like the right time to welcome you to our Summer of Superman specials. Whether you're a regular listener or just dropping in for these special episodes, welcome to the show and thank you for giving us a listen. I hope you enjoyed the film talk, and as always, if you feel like doing so, you can keep the conversation going in the comments on our socials, in the Amway Not group on Facebook, or wherever you see this episode posted. For this episode, I'm joined by All-Star Superfan co-host Rob O'Connor as we bring the Christopher Reeve era to a close with 1987's Superman 4, The Quest for Peace. And now, with an advance warning on spoilers and all that introduction stuff out of the way, let's roll the trailer. The greatest hope against the threat of nuclear war is Superman. I'm going to do what our governments have been unwilling or unable to do. Effective immediately, I'm going to rid our planet of all nuclear weapons. The greatest threat to Superman is Lex Luthor. Smarter than I thought. We can make the world safe for war profits. He's created the ultimate weapon to annihilate the Man of Steel. You risk worldwide nuclear war for your own personal financial gain. Nobody wants war. I just want to keep the threat alive. Dude of Steel, (laughs) where are you going to get it? You know you're a workaholic. Why don't you stop and smell the roses, huh? Superman 4. Christopher Reeve, Gene Hackman, Jackie Cooper, John Cryer, with Mariel Hemingway and Margot Kidder as Lois Lane. Superman 4. His most important adventure. The quest for peace. Hello, Rob. How are you? I don't know what I can do with a toupee that flies. Or sorry, wait. I want to know what I can do with a single strand of Superman's hair. How did I fuck that up? You gave Lenny's line to Lex. I was I was hoping for a Lenny impression. It's weird to think that he went on to become Lex Luthor, but we'll get into that in a bit. Hey, this rocks. <laughs> There's actually three Lex Luthers in this film. Oh, yes, there is. Very, yeah, yeah well spotted. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, and so... Good thing I brought my drums. <laughs> driving along a very English highway. <laughs> Amazing. But 
All right then, yeah. So we are talking about Superman 4, The Quest for Peace. So a little bit of information about the film. Directed by Sidney J. Fury, written by Lawrence Connor and Mark Rosenthal, um, from a story by Christopher Reeve, Lawrence Connor and Mark Rosenthal. Superman created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Shuster. Starring Christopher Reeve, Gene Hackman, Jackie Cooper, Mark McClure, John Cryer, Sam Wanamaker, Mark Pillow, with Muriel Hemingway and Margot Kidder. Released in cinemas on the 24th of July, 1987 in the US and the 24th of July, 1987 in the UK. So day and date release on both sides. Grossed $15,681,020 worldwide on an estimated budget of $17 million, according to IMDb. I couldn't find a Roger Ebert review or a Barry Norman review or anything really from that time. I found a couple of retrospective reviews, but I kind of like something from the time. Quick, um, quick but I think it's pretty much quick... well known that the film wasn't well received at the time. Now. Quick, quick question about the box office because I have heard that what is it, fifteen million dollars and twenty yeah. or something? What, is that domestic box office or is that actually the world? Because I really that's saw... worldwide according to IMDb. IMDb right. have right. had a couple wrong though because I had a massively low one on the Casino Royale episode. Yeah, that it was like four thousand dollars or something like that, and they just <laughs> taken the thing from one thing and put it as the worldwide one. Yeah. So I, I had to correct that in the introduction in that episode. But yeah, so like I say, that's according to IMDb. I should go on like box office mode. So uh, box office mojo or something like that. That's an extra click on the internet. It's a lot of work. Yeah, sometimes, sometimes I don't think box office mojo, especially these older ones. Like sometimes I don't think they have all the information about the worldwide because I don't think they really cared about worldwide as much back then. And you're kind of like, I really don't see this doing that little money. Like when you when you factor in the UK and all these other countries where Superman is like a, a big a big deal, and and in some cases a bigger deal. Like Superman Returns made more money worldwide than it did domestically. Like well, really. But 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 then you know you're thinking about d- distribution was different back then. This is like pre Batman when just everything was just machine gunned into cinemas. So... Yeah, it's I mean it doesn't take into account video and that sort of thing. But I mean yeah. I could see it. Superman three didn't set the world on fire either, so I could see the box office dropping off on it. I know there seemed to be a lot more choice in with eighty seven. You got Robocop and all that stuff as well. Cinema was changing again as we went into the late eighties into the nineties. So. But yeah. Kicking off, when did you first see this film? What are your memories of first seeing it? Okay, great one, actually. Uh, first memory of seeing this, I think I must have been um, six or seven. At that point, I had become very familiar with the VHS of Superman 1, 2, and 3, which were in the local video shop. But I did not know that there was a Superman 4. And it was on BBC one night. And I remember staying up late and watching it and loving it. And then I think a couple of years later, it was also on BBC. And I got my Nana to tape it for me and we brought it to our mobile home in the countryside that summer. And it was the only video we had. So we watched it every single day. And my brother was about three at that point. So that was his introduction to Superman. And I was watching it every day with him. Um, so, yeah, like a lot of kind of early memories wrapped up in this one. And, you know, as a kid watching it, I was kind of going, well, this is great. He's, you know, he's fighting this guy in a different superhero suit and they're having a big fight and like Lois Lane is there there's lots of stuff going on there's nuclear weapons like it never occurred to me as a child it never occurred to me before I was even a teenager like reading message boards on the internet it never occurred to me that this was a bad film at all yeah keep in mind I was born in the it was born in 1989 so I grew up with films in the 90s and I was watching this and it didn't it didn't even didn't occur to me that it looked any different to the earlier Superman films, which is something that everyone says, oh, special effects are so much worse. Never, never bothered me as a kid. 
in the in the nineties and the early two thousands. Like mad. Well, I mean, when you compare it to Steel. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, I mean, I think I honestly, this is one of those films that I honestly can't remember where I first saw it. It would either been on TV or my dad brought it home from the video shop. I do remember when I started collecting comics, picking up the comic adaptation of Quest for Peace, and then going back and watching the film after reading that. Oh, we're definitely going to be talking about that one tonight. And and then being like, this isn't as good as the comic adaptation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and then I've seen it occasionally. My joke with this one, whenever I caught it on telly, was that they literally spent pence on this film and you could see both of them up on the screen. <laughs> um, it's, it's an odd film. It looks like it was made 10 years before Superman the movie at times, for me. There's... I, don't, I don't get that at all. Like, I mean... Okay, special effects wise, yeah. Yeah, the rear like, projections ropey as anything. The continued yeah, look, reuse look. of the same shot of Christopher Fly. No, look, special effects wise, of course you're right. But I, I think generally the look like it's so eighties this film. Like the glitzy, glossy, silvery clothes they're all wearing, like, you know, we're talking about nightclubs, like you know, Mariel Hemingway looks like she walked off the set of fucking flash dance or something like Oh, I was instantly in love with Mario Hemingway. You which? I was instantly in love with Mario Hemingway oh, as a kid. Yeah, yeah. So I even loved her with the glasses bigger than her head. Oh my goodness gracious! <laughs> I think I wrote in my letterboxed review: Mario Hemingway is in this movie because she's really hot, and she's really hot. Yeah, <laughs> like that's the only thing she has to do in this. God love her. But uh, I, I, I kind of a bit of a larger point to make about her character later on. But uh, yeah, like mission accomplished. I think the thing that saves this film for me, and again, I think you put it in your letterbox review as well. I put it in mine because I read yours after I'd written mine and we had similar things in part, is that the chemistry between them. And I think some of them are doing the best acting they've done in a Superman film in you places, if correct. not as good as. Um, I, I think I wrote this. In my This is a textbook example, a textbook example of how you can have an absolute garbage script and a rubbish film but you can have great actors with great chemistry together and it just elevates everything into the stratosphere. And, you know, trying to argue that Superman 4 is a quote-unquote good film, like, you're fighting a battle that's already been lost and cannot be won, but by God, will I stand here with my sword tonight, Stuart. My sword held high and I will fight to the finish. I will die on my feet tonight because I love this film. No, that's... And a big part of it is the actors. They're all yeah. so good in it. There's not a weak link. And even fucking Nuclear Man is good in this. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, he knows what he's doing. And then I'll put a link into the episode you did with Mark Pillow where you, you guys oh, talked to him. lovely man. Yeah, um, love it. Yeah, he comes across really well in that. And, you know, he's got no hard feelings about it and has enjoyed no, what it's no, brought it was, to him. It was probably a really interesting part of his life. He got to be in this fun movie and, you know, he... he got to have a big blonde mullet he got to fight superman he got to do scenes with gene hackman why would you why would you turn around from that and go well some people didn't like the movie <laughs> i guess it was a rubbish time to be alive like obviously he's gonna celebrate it yeah like uh, he's he's very fond of it and he put it so beautifully in that he was kind of like you know i live this normal life you know i think he, he sells wines now and he just has this completely different career and then he goes to these conventions and everyone is just like cheering like he's a rock star like he's the best of both worlds yeah you know? Yes. I really hope he's got nuclear somewhere in the name of his wife. I actually probably don't want that in something <laughs> you consume, but just like even at the beginning, that first Clark scene where he's on the farm. He's Christopher Reeve is I mean, Christopher is great anyway. Chris 
Chris Freeman is well. I, anything that's wrong with this film, I think, can squarely be leveled at Canon Films and then swing in their budget cutting acts I... multiple times. I actually don't entirely agree with that. I I think that that's kind of the the given. That's the narrative we always hear. Well, you know, Canon they they ditched the budget and all that, and like that is a big part of it. Like the special effects are just not there, uh, or or at least a lot of them aren't there. I actually think there are some fairly impressive bits and pieces because there there's some so lovely much. models in this. The model of the spaceship at the beginning, yeah, the Russian that's, one, that's great. Yeah. Even just random little moments like Nuclear Man freezes Superman in a block of ice. Yeah. Like that, that's just a random thing that happens halfway through the movie. There's loads of just little bits thrown in. And it's like they bit off more than they could chew with like no money. But I, I actually think the whole story, the whole approach was possibly a little bit misguided. It was, kind of, it was a bit yeah. over ambitious. And, and they never said, nobody ever says that because Christopher Reeve had a role in the in the story. And far be it from anyone to criticize, you know, his contribution to this. But I, I think... Nuclear disarmament, it, it sounds great on paper, but then when you kind of think about it, you're kind of going, well, how come this didn't happen? And how come, you know, there weren't like entire nations like revolting against Superman? There's so many other little factors that... It's one of those, it was well-intentioned, but purely executed. Yeah, and, you know, going back to the whole verisimilitude thing, like this does feel like it was written from the perspective of a ch- Like there's a lot of stuff in this that, seems like they were coming at it from well you know superman just needed the wisdom of a child and once jeremy said well you should just get rid of all the nuclear weapons superman he just realized that that's what he had to do it's like well no there's a bit more to it than that and like when you try to when you try to make things too much of a simplistic story like that but you're dealing with these larger than life real world problems it just it's just a mess and it's part of why i don't think superman should deal with those kinds of things in superman stories because it just opens up too much of a can of worms that you just can't you can't really handle those kinds of topics with Superman because he's so powerful that obviously the, the whole course of history would change. And like you see that in stories like Watchmen, where you know that, that story is equipped to tell that sort of story. But when you have this character like Superman who's supposed to be this beacon of hope, you kind of don't want to think about things like, well, how would Superman deal with the Arab Israeli crisis? Or, you know, how would he deal with world hunger when you have, you know, there, there's very real and very sinister reasons for why there is world hunger. And like, how is he going to tackle it? Like, there's just too many things to think about there. Yeah. I don't, I, I think Superman stories aren't really equipped for that. Now it's a very, very admirable attempt. Don't get me wrong, but I just think fundamentally it was a misguided approach. And Richard Donner and Tom Mankiewicz have both said that as well. Yeah. They're kind of like, he just shouldn't have gone down that road. It's just too crazy. You know? Yeah. I, I, it is a weak story. I think they could have gotten away with it if the special effects had been better or they'd had money to do more like the bricklaying ice vision power. Oh my goodness gracious. I guess in the script originally that was going to be Superman's super speeds and rebuilds it, but they were like, we haven't got the money for that. So what if he stares really hard at it? It it literally was that in the script from, from what I can tell that it was supposed to be him rushing up and, and you can see that they flopped the shot so that he's looking from left to right and he's looking from right to left. It's so silly. And I've seen that vision power described as both brick vision, mortar vision and great wall of China vision. And I, I can't decide which one I like best. Um, and of course we have to mention that, that, that your man, Aaron price, who did the logo for my podcast, all star super fan. He does these wonderful videos where he takes Superman 4 and he 
redoes all the special effects. So so you can watch that scene now on YouTube. But instead of the ridiculous blue beams coming from Superman's eyes, he actually does fly up and fix the wall by hand, which is so cool that people can just do that now. Yeah. But yeah, I, I but but then yeah, like the the mortar vision was just something. It was a consequence of the budget that they didn't have the time or the money to film him going up and rebuilding everything. There's a lot of other shitty powers in this that aren't Superman powers that yeah. he just randomly has. And I think they were going to well, be in it regardless. still got the magic kiss. The magic kiss. And I want to come back to that. I, I, that's, I, especially that's, in that's the age of, of Me the, Too, that's, that never sat right with me anyway, but especially in the age of Me Too, that's even more uncomfortable. The listeners can't see, but I'm holding my sword up high right now. Again. I want to come back to that in a second. That and the fact he just takes Lois by the hand and walks off the edge of the building with her All as right. Clark. Here we go. Let's do it now. Okay, we're doing it now. Right. Look, you're absolutely right. It is a problematic scene. Do you know what else is a problematic scene? The same thing in Superman 2, and which is yeah. a beloved movie. And But in both occasions, both are utterly problematic and you would never do them today. And it would be a huge problem if you did. And absolutely, we need to look at these films in the context of when they were made. Da, 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 da. That's fine, right? Margot Kidder is immense in all four of these movies. And I think she's deeply underrated in all of them. And this film specifically is probably the most underrated performance she gives in any of them. She is given a thankless two-dimensional role in this film. She's literally Superman's cheerleader. She's the one who has to give him an L smile and give him an L nudge and say, oh, it's going to be all right. And she elevates all of those scenes into the stratosphere. You don't just believe that she loves him. You feel like if you're looking at her face, like there's that scene where he says, well, how would you like flying solo? And she says, well, you know, I, I loved it, but not as much as being with you. That is dime store dialogue. Cheap as chips could have totally sunken if it was a lesser actor. But you just see this subtext, the layers in her face, like she's happy one second. And then you can see the tinge of sadness because she knows everything she wants that can't be. And she knows how sad he is. She desperately wants to convey how much she believes in him, how much she loves him, and how much she knows and respects everything about that awful decision he had to make in the second film when he kissed her to make her memories go away. Like, all of that is in her face in that moment, and it's just electric. It's... How'd you like going solo? I loved it. Not as much as being with you. I needed to be with you, too. You make me laugh. <laughs> You're the only one I can talk to, Lois. See, sometimes I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I'm, I'm always here for you, you know that. And you'll do the right thing no matter what it is. You always have. Thank you. You know something? What? You don't even know my name. Cal You remember, don't you? I remember everything. Never set one of them above the rest. Love all humanity instead. That's not fair. There's just so much subtext in every line delivery she gives. And I think they feel like old lovers. And it's just so gorgeous. And I, I get that it's problematic, and it is. And Superman treats her horribly in this. Like, he... He kind of uses her as a little pick-me-up and then he kisses her to make it all go away again. But I just... I, I, not enough is said about how great Margot Kidder is in this. And I'm... No, I agree. I'm in a worryingly shrinking minority when I say this, but I, I think she is one of the best Lois Lanes. And 
there's this contingent of people who always and that's fine right if you're personally not attracted to Margot Kidder that's one thing but you look at him you look at Christopher Reeve and Margot Kidder it's just mesmerizing the presence that they have when they're together it's larger than life whereas for me Lana and Clark in Superman 3 it's this lovely sweet little subplot that doesn't really go anywhere and doesn't really have any bearing on Superman's character arc in the film like it's kind of just this nice little homespun love story and if you insert yourself into the movie as Superman Annette O'Toole is really hot and you know we've all had the fantasy of going back to high school and meeting the girl that got away and her realizing how how great we actually are. and that's all fine right I just think Lois and Superman is just a much bigger it's like a galactic love story and as problematic as all the stuff in, in Magic Kiss is I do love that scene in Superman 2 as well where yeah. she has that heartbreaking monologue where she's going on about how you know it's like being the wife of a doctor and you know he has to leave in the middle of the night and you have to grapple with how important his role is but also how much selfishly you just want him to be there for you and that that, that makes her a selfish person and he realizes in that moment that it's wrong for her to have to he realizes problematically of course that it's wrong for her to have to live with this pain and he, he just takes it away from her and in a way in its own problematic way, taken in the context of when it's made, I find that very romantic and, and very nice. I think it plays better in two. It plays worse than, like you say, because he uses yeah. her for a pick-me-up. He does, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and fundamentally, I think like a different way this movie could have ended could have been Superman realising that he literally is stronger with Lois in his life. Like, you know, he has that line where he says, never put one of them above the rest. It's It's not fair. But actually, in this case... Lois Lane saves the world because yeah. she comes to him later on in the movie and she builds him up. And again, she, like she has this strange moment where you can, you can tell that she knows that he's that, that, that Superman is still alive and she can't really express why. And she, you can tell that on some strange subconscious level, she's come to terms with all these things, but she doesn't really understand why. And neither does the audience because it hasn't been explained very well. But Ultimately, Superman defeats the nuclear man because Lois comes to him in his moment of crisis and convinces him that he's that that he's capable of doing it. And, you know, I, I think a great way to end this would have been, well, do you know what, Jorel? Fuck you. I'm marrying Lois Lane. <laughs> Which was well, in the script for Superman 5, by the way. Well, there's a weird sort of thing that the way she plays it and some of the dialogue, the way it's delivered, is like she knows that Clark is Superman. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Like she was just playing along with the magic kiss kind of thing. The, the way I read that is it's this strange, like there's these subconscious remnants. Like she, she's talking about, I don't know how I knew this, but I just knew it. Yeah. And it, it's, it's like, it's in the back of her mind somewhere because of the nature of the magic kisses that, you know, she remembers it on some level, but she can't consciously remember. And I, I don't know, look, it's all nonsense. It's complete nonsense. But I just think she brings something really, really interesting and engrossing to it. And yeah, every time people talk about this movie, they talk about, oh, well, Margot Kidder looked old in it and she didn't look her best and she wasn't hot anymore. It's like, fuck you. She was a great actress and a great Lois Lane. And the last thing I'll say about Margot Kidder, when she passed away, the comic creator, Tom Taylor, posted this beautiful picture of her. She was handcuffed and smiling outside the White House because she was protesting against the key, the Keystone Pipeline. Like, that's what this woman was doing in her 70s. Like, yeah. not only was she a great actor, she was a perfect low slain, but she was also just a great human being. And everyone always talks about how great a human being Christopher Reeve was, and he was, so was Margot Kidder. She was amazing. Yeah. 
she's not been my favorite Lois, but I always find that when I do rewatch these films, she goes up for me. Yes. So because yes. I mean, I'm Terry Hatcher generation kind of thing. Yeah, so same. Terry Hatcher, Laura Liking from the radio things. That's okay, my yeah. two top Loises, and then and you know Margaret Kidder was always there. Um, forget how lovely she is, not just looks, but just the personality yeah. of her. And it comes across in this as well. I mean, that's the scene in the chemistry and the way those two play off each other in that scene where Clark's sick, yeah, where she goes to visit him. It's lovely how that's played. And I do love, this has got one of my favourite Daily Planet crew scenes, which is when they go to uh, outside the station at Milton Keynes <laughs> at the end. And you've got her, Jimmy and yeah. Clark. And Clark does the thing, oh, I'm going to tape recorder, I need to go off thing. But you just get that nice little, the three of them together interplay, which you never really got in the other films. You didn't get them out on a location. You had them in the office. That's a great point. But this is the first time you sort of see that. And they're like, oh, same old Clark. Jimmy and Margot Kidd are uh, like uh, McCoy and Kirk ripping on Spock. That's a great way to put it, actually. Yeah, it is a similar kind of thing. You want to talk about people looking too old. Poor L. Mark McClure looks 40 in this film. Mark McClure was way too old for Jimmy Olsen by this point. It's... Dave McFly himself. <laughs> um, oh, I, actually, sorry, one last thing. Um, obviously, a lot of stuff was cut out of this movie. One of the things that was cut out, and, and you know, talking about strange powers that Superman doesn't have, there's that scene where they fly around the world together, right? Look, we all know it. The scene does not look good. The special effects do not work. That's fine, right? There's a lot of extra stuff in that scene and the deleted scenes. You can look it all up on YouTube. Yeah. And there's a brief shot in the theatrical version where Superman kind of whisks her away and it's as if she's flying by herself. And then he kind of quickly flies after her and picks her up and that's it. In the deleted scene, she flies all over the scene herself. It's as if he's like passed his powers on to her and she's able to fly and she's flying alongside him and she's got a big smile on her face and she does this twirl in midair and she looks heroic and confident and triumphant and it's like they're equals. And, you know, again... Not a power Superman has doesn't make any sense, but the actors are just bringing so much to it that I wish it was in the movie. It, it it's such a powerful moment, and it's like kind of like Margot Kidder's crowning moment of awesome, where she becomes a superhero. And you know, obviously, there's that line then when he says, "Well, how did you like going solo?" It makes much more sense when you see that whole yeah in terms of her sort of flying herself. I again, I really love that bit. Most people probably hate it. So I think it's great. No, I watched the deleted scenes again, or some of the deleted scenes again today, just to refresh my memory because they're on the DVD disc, or the yes. Blu-ray disc, because um, they've got the Clive Mantle as Nuclear Man one, which has a really nice bit in it where Superman says to him, "I don't want to fight. I just want to know where you've come from." Yeah, he has that bit where he goes time out, which is yeah, real kind of... it's just a really nice little Superman bit because yeah. that is Superman. So, or my Superman has always been throw punches after trying yeah. to sort. Absolutely, yeah, I I completely agree. And there's too many modern stories where he gets punched once, or Superman gets punched once, and suddenly we go into like badass, angry Superman. It's like, yeah, that's, that's not how we'd handle that. Like he'd kind of go, "Well, hang on a second here. Um, give me your take on the whole Nuclear Man one and two situation." I mean, I get why they cut Nuclear Man one. So it's completely redundant. It adds nothing other than that yeah. nice little bit that I quite like. Yeah, I mean, it's fun to watch. It's definitely swinging more towards the comedy with the Clive Mantle bit. And he's amusing in that bit. Because to me, Clive Mantle was in Casualty when I grew up. So very serious right. doctor. <laughs> and 
and from what I gather, he he's like, I, I'm fed up talking about Superman. Like, this was a random thing I did like 40 years ago. Stop asking me about it. Which is weird because he'll occasionally pop up on talking head things talking about how he was in a Superman. Yeah. Um, I, I, I must agree. I, you know, because the whole thing is, oh, well, you know, Canon cut the budget or whatever. The whole Nuclear Man 1 and 2 thing, it's it's one of those strange conceptual ideas for me that was like, well, that was never going to work. That was always going to be weird and just unnecessarily pad out the movie when you could just skip to exactly what they do in the theatrical version. Just skip to the thing everyone wants to see, which is the badass Michael Bolton looking like flying around. Like there was no need. And yeah, it's just and again, it's like, why are they two different actors? Like just have Mark Pillow do all of it or Clive Mantle do all of it. It's I don't know. Like it's it's an interesting little fight sequence. And I think he throws a car or something at Superman. Yeah, there's a bit where they're both pushing a line of cars together and then they crush him in the middle. Mm. And, um, and I, I think it also, it serves as foreshadowing for why Nuclear Man is so obsessed with Lacey later on in the movie, kind of. But I don't, like, it. it's always, everyone's always been like, oh, well, if they put these scenes back in, the movie will be, it's like, no, it won't be no, much better. I, I don't think they in. add much to the film at all, other than padding the runtime. Yeah. I think this film works nicely at 90 minutes. That's probably why it appealed so much to kids. Oh, man. and Because Superman it... the movie is perfectly paced, but as a kid, you know, I just, wanna, I just want to get to the Superman bits. Yeah, like Superman 1 and 2 are both meaty appointment watch movies for me. Like they're, they're long ass movies. And if you're sitting there at kind of 11 o'clock at night and you want to watch something, but, you know, you know, you're going to have to go to bed eventually. Superman 4 is 90 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> Like it's it's easy to kind of flick on and watch most of it or all of it and then go to bed. No harm, no foul. You know, that's yeah. a big reason why I've watched it so many times. It's <laughs> in and out, baby. You know, I mean, um, we sort of touched on the planet crew. Obviously, you've got Jackie Cooper back as well as Love it. Perry White, who disappears for a large chunk of the film because he's going around getting bankers to yeah lend him some money. But he has that great scene at the end where he talks about the Daily Planet. He's like, that's Perry White. Yes, it is great. And and in fact, I, I watched it just this morning because I, I woke up at seven o'clock and I was like, perfect. I watched Superman 4 and I, I wasn't late for work. Like, it's such a short movie. <laughs> but the whole um, side plot of the Daily Planet going under and irresponsible journalism and all that stuff, I've never noticed that it actually it almost works. Like, it almost feeds directly into the main plot of the movie, which is Lex Luthor creating Nuclear Man and Superman having to fight him and trying to, you know, uh, disarm all the nuclear weapons. Like, all of that comes from Warfield publishing this story saying that the summit is kaput, which, uh, you know, causes the president to strive to be second to none, and then it causes the whole thing with Jeremy. And then there's that lovely line later on in the movie where Lacey has that kind of moment of development where she turns to her dad and goes you know we need to be more responsible like we can't we can't just keep publishing these you know exaggerated news stories or whatever and warfield says something like uh you know what could possibly go wrong with us publishing these stories and a nuclear man flies in smashes in through the scene that's almost a good scene like that that's an idea that almost came together but it's just because the film is a bit haphazard you don't really notice how well it works you know Whereas... yeah i think this is a film that is good intentions and good ideas it's just yeah. not they could have done with a little bit more time to develop them i'm surprised they yeah. didn't try and hold it back for 1988 so it would come out on the 50th anniversary but yeah 
I guess, like, given that... Because obviously, we haven't really gone into it, but the Soul Clines are no longer behind the films yeah. at this point. Um, they got a name check for having brought Superman to the big screen with 78 in the opening credits, but those opening credits we need to talk about as well. Um, but yeah, so it had been sold to... They retained the rights to Superboy and Supergirl, didn't they? If I remember rightly, which is why and they could Super make that... Film. And Superpup. He much loved and often used Superpup. Yeah. Um, yeah, but Canon got the rest and then they tempted Christopher Reeve back with a promise that he could do that film that the name's gone from head now. Deep Cover? Street, under... street, street, street Smart. Street Smart, that's it. Which is a film I've not seen. I want to see it, but it doesn't seem to be available anywhere at the minute. Ugh. Um, people will tell you it's really interesting and really good. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's okay. more my own curiosity. I'm not expecting a lost masterpiece would... or anything. It's absolutely worth a watch. I'll, I'll tell you that much. Morgan Freeman is amazing in it. Yeah. And um, it's an interesting little film. But it like this, it just feels a bit haphazard and a bit unfinished. And I kind of think Christopher Reeve, even though it was his idea and it was his baby and it was his dream project, it's a bit out of place in it. He's a bit miscast. Yeah. Like, as amazing as I think he is in Superman, I don't always think he has the range that he thought he had. And he doesn't always suit... like. I think he overcompensated by being typecast by trying to play these really sleazy characters that were so unlike Superman. And he just doesn't fit them because he's clearly this rich, like, wasp from, you know, I think he was from Long Island or Connecticut or something. Like, you can just smell the wealth off him. And yeah. when he when he's playing these, like, sleazy characters, you're like, well, that doesn't, it doesn't fit. You just don't suit that kind of role, you know? No, he does earn us very well and he does, like, you know, lovable doofus very well. Yeah. Kind of thing, but... Yeah, I I think Oliver Harper did a video on Street Smart, and that's possibly where it sort of I discovered more about it and was interested in seeing it. But I, I would recommend it, yeah, definitely. Just it just for the curiosity factor, like it's very interesting. And he but, plays a journalist in it, which is yeah. it's kind of weird, you know. It's such a polar opposite of Clark Kent. But but that's how they tempted him back, and obviously they told him that he could have more creative control over this one. Mm. Uh, for better or worse. Um, and they got Gene Hackman back as well. Yes. Which Gene Hackman looks like he's having the most fun he's ever had, possibly thinking in his head how he's going to spend his fee. But. Big time. Do it for it, the cash, baby. He no, doesn't no, like no it. Fun. Um, I, I do wish he'd either got a hairpiece or shaved his head. He's sort of in that weird thing where it's like, that's that's not a Lex Luthor style hairpiece. It's. It's just, it's just bald. Yeah. Like, or it's, it's balding, which is worse. That is probably one of my only kind of regrets with Gene Hackman. And this is just like pick a lane just with the hair thing. It's like, at least in the first movie, he was wearing all those wigs and it kind of gave off the impression of, okay, well, he doesn't want to be bald, but we've got all these different wigs. Like that makes sense. Yeah. But yeah. Here it's like, it's like, he's not quite bald, but he's, he's really balding and it, it's just neither here nor there. And yeah, that's the, like, and especially the bit where he's doing the mad scientist thing. And he's wearing this mad scientist getup, and he looks exactly like he walked off the page of an old Silver Age Lex Luthor comic. And you're like, oh, if he could only be wearing a bald cap for that scene, it would just be great. That's it. All the old was it? Which black and white one was it? Was that in the George Reeves series? I can't remember. But he wears Kirk, a similar outfit in that. The Kirk Allen series. That's it. Um, Lex Luthor played by Lyle Talbot. That's right. Who also played Commissioner Gordon in Batman. The 1949 serial and he was in plan nine from outer space so <laughs> well versed in crap i get the feeling that hackman said i'll come back for this much money and you're not touching my hair i'm not wearing a bowl cap i'm not shaving my head and i'm not wearing a wig 
big time. We're lucky he didn't have a mustache in it. Um, yeah, big time. And remember, this is like technically only his second time playing Lex Luthor because they filmed one and two, or at least all the scenes he was in, they filmed back to back. Yeah, because he wouldn't come back and shoot once Richard Donner got fired, would he? So. Yeah, so so this is a full 10 years since he's played Lex Luthor. So yeah. for him, it was just, you know, revisiting something he'd done years ago. It wasn't like Christopher Reeve where they had this continuity of of a couple of films throughout the 80s. You know, he, Gene Hackman hadn't done this in, in a decade. And yeah, I love him. I just love him. Again, it's this classic thing that everyone complains about. Oh, he's too lighthearted, too much comedy. I just love Gene Hackman's Lex Luthor. I think he's great. And I really think he foreshadowed the modern version more than people give credit for. Yeah. Just this nasty Bond villain capitalist who loves money (laughs) and power. Yeah, that's the where he's got the pile of money in front of him. Oh, love it. I I used to have that as my Facebook cover photo. It's just, it's amazing. It's like, you want a reference? Forget it. Um, I I do like him. I don't think he has this. I like... John Cryer as Lenny Luther, but I don't think they have the same chemistry as he had with Otis and Miss Tessmacher. I agree, but what I'll say is I think there's scenes in the first two where Ned Beatty and Valerie Perrine upstage Gene Hackman a little bit, and it's because they're great actors, and that's fine. Whereas in this movie, it's all him, and he's just, you know, eating the scenery in every scene he's in. <laughs> and I, I think it's kind of to the benefit of his performance sometimes. Like, there's that brilliant bit where he's talking to fucking Jim Broadbent and William Hookins, and he's like, I, Lex Luthor, greatest criminal mind of the modern era. And the way he says it, it's just, it's like he's practiced it so many times, and he's so used to telling people this fan fiction he's come up with in his head about him. Like, there's all these eras of crime, and I, Lex Luthor, am the greatest criminal mind of the modern era. I just, I love that. And I think there's definitely an element of Gene Hackman phoning it in making it better somehow does yeah. that make sense like he definitely did this for the money and god bless him for it like get money get paid like he could read the phone book and he'd be he'd be captivating like well that's it i mean he's gene hackman and again he has great chemistry with chris Reeve. Yeah. when they're like when they feel like these old enemies that have been battling each other for years and it's just great yeah i do and love how they just wander around having chats in these films it's a well-known fact that you hate children and animals, Luther. It's just great. And you're like, yeah, I fucking do. Uh, oh, love it. And and that whole set, like as cheap as this movie is, uh, Lex Luthor randomly living in the Empire State Building, question mark. And it just looks like Goldfinger's Palace. Like, it's yeah, just, the walls are all gold and he's got this gold smoking jacket and there's all these zigzags like it's Twin Peaks and really love that set. Whatever the story was there, I don't know. It's really cool set. I pre- nearly prefer it to the set in Superman the movie, which was obviously more lavish and more. See, lavish. I love that Superman the movie set. Yeah, so do I. Yeah. So, do you want to hear my um, fan fiction uh, fan idea for Lex Luthor in this and where all of his money comes from? Yeah, I believe everyone's always oh well, you know, he's not the LexCorp version; he's a silver. Version. I I actually think Lex Luthor in this Christopher Reeve universe. He's like this rogue billionaire, like John McAfee or one of these guys where, you know, he's just got all these shell companies and all these, like, so he actually does have loads and loads of money and he is just as wealthy and resourceful as the modern version. It's just that he's on the run and he's, you know, so he can just buy a big portion of the Empire State Building because he has so many billions of dollars that he can just do this through all these shell companies. And as long as nobody sees him and doesn't know that he's there, you know, he's just as powerful and, and kind of wealthy as the 
as the LexCorp uh, Lex. And in Superman the movie, Otis literally says that there is a Lex Luthor Incorporated. <laughs> so technically, it's there, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I suppose these films started pre-John Byrne, didn't they? So Totally, yeah. But but no, I, I really enjoy it. I mean, it's kind of Blofeld Diamonds Are Forever. Totally. But so much more fun. All right, and let's, let's come on to the newer characters. So we've touched on it, but let's talk about uh, Mario Hemingway. I don't. I think this must be the first one I've seen her. Obviously, since I've seen like Manhattan and the like. And Mario Hemingway is very talented and very good, and obviously very lovely. And I like. There's literally seen. There's literally behind the scenes um, interviews of Christopher Reeve talking about how sexy she is and how much sex appeal she brings to the movie. And then it cuts to Margot Kidder talking about her. Yeah, I guess I was too old to be the main love interest. And your heart, your heart just breaks. It's so tragic, and it's it's clearly exactly what happened. Like they were like, "Oh, well, we need someone sexy," um, and God love her. Like she, the, the, through no fault of her own, I just think again, it's just one of those ideas again that was just conceptually flawed and problematic, and a bit kind of. It just feels a bit mean spirited having this extra love interest in the film that really has no bearing on the plot, other than her character arc later on about journalism. But you could have easily done that with like a platonic character in the movie. And there's all these scenes where she's trying to romance Clark Kent and they play this kind of sexy love theme. It's like, and it's like the movie is trying to tell us, oh no, no guys, no, this is a, this is a legitimate love interest for Clark Kent. You're like, really? Is it though? And I just, I, if anything, I feel like they should have played those scenes up for laughs more. Like it should have just been straight comedy. There shouldn't have been any implication that no, that this is Clark actually has feelings for this woman. That is yeah. like clearly 12 years younger than him. And it's just gross and weird. And why are we doing this? And for me, that's one of those ideas where it's like, even if the budget was four times as big as this is something that wouldn't have worked and would always feel a bit weird and leery and creepy. Yeah, I, I get the feeling she exists purely because they came up with that double date scene and then worked and backwards. I And if that is the case, I will forgive them because that's a great scene. Again, Christopher Reeve is just magic in that bit. The bit where he's like approaching, he's coming through the Sainsbury's corporate office reception talk about that in a second and and he just sort of slips and like picks himself up and says hi like just perfect physical comedy like yeah. great and it's all in one shot you're like how many times do they have to do that you know this cheapest chips movie um love that scene yeah i i'll agree if if that's what their idea was then fine i like it yeah i i don't know i just it's one of those things that feels like they reverse engineered a story having had that idea um, again, that that is a comedy scene and it works because it's comedy whenever yeah. they try to play it as like oh well you know clark you know, you're just like stay with lois clark <laughs> yeah there's a couple of nice bits i like his first interaction with her after the meeting where they found out he's bought up the shares to take over the paper and he wants to change it and he says you know we'll do our best for you but journalism has an integrity and and then her thing with lois is like is he really like that <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and she says something like, uh, Lois is like, oh, I, I just don't think you're Clark's type or something. He says, get real, Lois. All men love me. I'm very, very rich. <laughs> Mr. White, don't do anything rash. If you think I'm going to let you turn this grand old lady into one of your bimbos. Mr. White, may I point out that Daddy holds all of your contracts, which you will have to honor. Excuse me, moi. Your spoiledness. Why is Lois trying to speak French? Um, 
I have a plane to catch to Paris for the emergency minister's conference and, uh, not so fast. All trips are canceled. You mean my trip to Paris is canceled? Mr. White, you come with me. I want to see your books. The rest of you get back to work. Oh, I don't think we're being treated fairly. I'm going to speak to Miss Warfield. Me too. Excuse me, Miss Warfield. <laughs> I think I speak for all of us when I say that we'll do our best to cooperate. Thank you. Um, but a reporter's first allegiance has to be to the truth. The people of this city depend on us, and we can't let them down. Thank you. Is he for real? 100%. And, uh, I like him that way, okay? Oh, you have a thing for him. For Clark? No. <laughs> He's got a cute. Uh, look, Miss Warfield... Clark is the oldest living Boy Scout, okay? He's he's trustworthy, he's helpful, he's loyal, he's obedient, he... I don't know how to tell you this. I just don't think he'd be attracted to somebody like you. <laughs> don't be silly. All men like me. I'm very, very rich. I do love the thing where she tells Clark to uh, compliment on her dress. Oh, yeah, yeah. Neat dress. Neat dress. And then when he comes back into Superman, he pays her a compliment. like, that's a lovely outfit. <laughs> perfect, perfect, perfect. That's a very attractive outfit you're wearing. That's it. I, well, you haven't really said it, but Chris Reeve is just a magician. He is yeah. just a magician. He's so he's the best superhero actor ever. There will never be better than Chris Reeve. And every single scene he's in is just like magic. Like there, There's that same scene where Lois walks out onto the balcony and he's looking out and he's clearly looking out at, you know, Elstree Studios. You can see the reflection of these sets in the background that are not the Manhattan skyline. And then they cut to the Manhattan skyline. It's this beautiful shot of Manhattan. And you're kind of going, where the fuck is Lacey's apartment that she has this, <laughs> like literally looking at the Empire State Building right in front of her. And Lois says, oh, you know, the city is so beautiful from up here. And Superman j- just responds, the whole world is beautiful. I just yeah. wish people could see it. And I'm just like, oh, that's just perfect. It's such a good delivery. And every time I go to New York now and I'm looking out over that, I just go, the whole world is beautiful. <laughs> Love it. He's so good. Yeah. I'd argue nobody's understood a comic book character they're playing better than Christopher Reeves. At least. Hmm, interesting. I no, Nobody's understood a comic book character that the substance of what seems yeah. to be a, like a one-dimensional, you know, that kind of way. Whereas, I yeah, think, yeah, sorry, that's what I meant. So, whereas I think Wolverine, like Hugh Jackman, I don't think enough people talk about how good he is, and though, like, that there's clearly so much substance to that character. Like, you just know, like, as soon as you read any Wolverine comic, you're going, "Well, all right, okay, there's this, 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 and this." So that's fine. You could, you'd be forgiven for reading a Superman comic and not finding any substance. Whereas he found so much in that character, and he brings so, such a depth to that, like. You know, whereas if you look at Henry Cavill and everybody talks about how much they like Henry Cavill and how much he could have been better and all that, I just find him really vacuous in all of those films. I don't find any energy or kind of heart in his delivery. It just all feels very flat. There's no difference between his Clark and his Superman either. No, but even even when he's talking to Jor-El, he's like, where do I come from? Who am I? It's just such a kind of like blank FHM kind of Kendall acting. Yeah, is it? Um, to it. It's the honest trailer, isn't it, where they describe him as in the acting range of a crumpet. <laughs> oh, totally. Like, and God, and I like I... Henry Cavill. I, in Mission Impossible, he's great. Um, 
Yeah, and I, I like once he starts to get into, I think, the Superman he wanted to be in, particularly more in the Joss Whedon cut of Justice League, I find there's a bit more personality to it then. It looks like he's enjoying it. It does. And there it is. And you can tell that that's where he wanted it to go. Um, that's maybe a topic for another day, but you can definitely enjoy it more. It's more pleasant to watch, but I still think it's just a little bit kind of flat. And it yeah. just doesn't, uh, to your Mission Impossible point, that's obviously my favorite performance of his. He's very, very good in that. But I think he's one of those actors where he's like Schwarzenegger in the 80s. It's like, if you have a really interesting director and you have this huge physical presence and that director knows exactly what they want, they can mold him into that like he's not really an actor he's more of like a, a movie prop presence that you, you can mold into what you want whereas superman requires an actor i think yeah. you actually need to be able to act to play superman and christopher reeve is the best actor that's ever played yeah. Superman. you know yeah no I, I completely agree i mean i suppose we talk about nuclear man as well as the well we've got lenny nuclear man lacy's dad sam he's, wanamaker should we do Lacey's dad? I mean, there's not really a lot to... He does what he needs to do. and Does what it says in the tin. The most interesting thing about him, I think, is that Nicholas Hammond, who obviously played Spider-Man, uh, plays Sam Wanamaker in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. That's all I wanted to say. And he's great. He's great in it. But I just, I'm always like, ah, that's, that's Warfield from Superman 4 and he's in this Tarantino movie. And I'm sure, I'm absolutely 100% sure that Quentin Tarantino knows exactly that bit of geeky information because he knows a lot more about this stuff than he lets on. Yeah. Yeah, I can't imagine there's a canon film that Tarantino hasn't seen. Or Yeah, totally. Plus, you know, he's also a massive comic book nerd, so I imagine he's seen. Um, there's, a, there's a photo of him. Uh, I don't know, is he working at a video store or something from like the 80s? And, and you can literally see the Nicholas Hammond Spider-Man uh, VHS behind him. <laughs> So, like, he clearly, that's what he knows, Nicholas. Like, I'm sure he's aware of Sound of Music and all that as well, but that's, that's yeah. what he knows, Nicholas Hammond from. That's yeah. why he's in that movie. Guarantee it. That's it. I mean, they were great fun. Um, obviously, you've got future Lex Luthor, John Cryer, as uh, Lenny Luthor, which, again, it's a fairly thankless role, but mm. he, he at least appears to be having fun with it. Traps Matt McDonald in a car. Does what he says in the tin, you know, I've no great issue. I know some people find him annoying. I, I don't think he's in enough of the movie to really be annoying. Um, And yeah, again, I just think, I think it was maybe a secret blessing to not have to subject Ned Beatty to this film. Yeah. Um, And Valerie Perrine, I, I no great issue with John Cryer. I love him as Lex Luthor. I'm so glad that they, they did that when they did. And I do think it's a great shame that he didn't get to finally be in Superman and Lois, um, but I, at the time of recording, I haven't seen the actor that's going to play him yet. They haven't aired those episodes yet, so I'm looking forward to seeing what that was. But it'll always be tinged with a you know disappointment that we didn't get to see John Cryer because he was a great Lexington. Yeah, I mean that's a separate conversation. But on a side note, I quite yeah. like that Superman and Lois are going a separate way. I yeah. kind of feel like. I love John Cryer's Lex Luthor, but I think he's tainted by being a Supergirl Lex Luthor. Yeah. That's not to disregard that as a thing, but I think his Lex Luthor is so associated with Supergirl that That's I fair. quite like the idea of a fresh yeah. Luthor coming in for Superman, especially as it's separate Earth timeline. You yeah. know, it's a different Diggle. And... 
It's like they, no, no, they dipped their toe in maybe still being in the Arrowverse and then decided it was the Arrowverse was coming to an end. So yeah, let's break off and do our own thing kind of thing. And I like Michael Kolditz as well. I'm quite looking so forward I. to seeing what he's going to be doing. And he's in one of your favorite films. He is. He is. He's a uh, Bobby Beamer. To the point where when he was announced, I was like, Bobby Beamer, Beamer is Lex Luthor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, and then obviously you, you've chatted to the man, but you've got Mark Pillow as Nuclear Man. I mean, voiced by Gene Hackman. Again, strange idea. Why not just let him speak? <laughs> Weird. Um, yeah, I mean, he's, he's fine. He does what he he's supposed to do he's big he's tall he's imposing he's blonde he's got big muscles that's fine by me baby like he's basically the doomsday of the christopher reeve movies yeah he's just this big angry physical presence who wants to kill superman and that's it yeah and absolutely and you know credit to mark pillow i think he had to go to the premiere dressed as nuclear man and he had to shake hands with like prince charles and princess diana dressed in this ridiculously attired like god love him he suffered for his art and Every time I watch the movie, I'm like, yeah, pretty cool. Nuclear Man. And lo- again, it's another thing everyone's like, oh, that's so lame. It's so ridiculous. You know what? It is ridiculous, but I love it. It's entertaining. Like, it's Superman fighting a Michael Bolton lookalike. It's like, there's not not really a lot he could do with the character. The fact that he no. made that much. I do love that that Superman and Lois comic had a little Nuclear Man love it. scene in love it. it. I thought that was a really nice touch. Um, yeah, I think he's great at the bit he does. I mean, actually, I will say a nice thing about his acting. Um, there's the bits where he's really roaring, and you can see every sinew in his neck just yeah. expanding out. And like to say a nice thing about the special effects, the whole kind of electricity effect that's kind of surrounding him at all times, like, and it really like it sort of extends out as he's roaring and all that. I actually think they do that pretty well. And it kind of looks semi-cool when he's doing that. And you can see these like just crackles of electricity expanding from him in time with his his performance. I think that's kind of interesting to look at. There's there's a weird gozer from Ghostbusters about him, but you know, yeah. Michael Bolton. Yeah. <laughs> um but yeah, no, I he's fine. I mean, again, like everybody else, he's underserved by the script. He just suddenly gets a boner for Lacey for some reason. Mm. Yeah, like it's just this one scene where he picks up a newsverse, like, and then and then later on he meets Superman. He says, "Where is the woman?" And Superman says, "Oh, she's far from here. She's safe or whatever." And it's like, how do you know what woman he's talking about, Superman? <laughs> That's it. Which again, you kind of possibly could have understood it if it was Lois. Yeah, you could have made a whole, you know, it's Superman's DNA, so he's got that thing that Superman's yeah. affection for Lois. That yeah, again, a bit like the Bizarro. In the John Byrne thing. Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and again, a lot of, uh, pardon the pun, connective tissue with Bizarro in this character. Like, he's yeah. made from Superman's DNA. He's imperfect duplicate. He, you know, uh, and misplaced affection for certain women and all that. And I, it's, it's, it's been a minute since I've seen all the deleted stuff, but my understanding is there is quite a number of scenes between Lacey and Nuclear Man in the deleted stuff. Yeah, I think so. I didn't watch all of the deleted scenes because, and it's it, there's kind of a King Kong thing there where you know he really loves her and kind of keeps her around and stuff. And you know, I I think it's explained marginally better in 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 those scenes. And I I want to get back to the deleted stuff in a bit if that's okay. Yeah. But um, yeah, yeah no, I, I, I've no issue with Nuclear Man, and I think 
I keep talking about ideas that were not good. I think one idea that was really good was, do you know what? We need to see Superman fucking fighting a tough 80s villain with big biceps. Like, you know, Rocky Four was out by now. Rocky, Rocky Three and Four, like all these kind of big, meaty action movies. We needed to see a slow fest. And that, that's kind of in this movie. Like, you can say it wasn't executed very well. But I'm glad that there is just this crazy throwdown fight scene between Superman and, and Nuclear Man. I think that that was that was a good decision. Yeah, if they maybe didn't pull it off as well as they could have. I do wonder if they ever toyed with the idea of him being Bizarro. A bit like there was always the rumor that Richard Pryor's character was meant to be Brainiac. Whether that was ever substantiated or not, I've always read mixed things about it. But I do wonder if initially they were like, we could do Bizarro, and then they just realized it'd be cheaper to do. A nuclear I, man. I have heard somewhere now, I don't know if this was just speculation or one of these kind of urban legends or whatever. I have heard somewhere that they did speculate Bizarro or they, they did think about doing Bizarro and they were literally going to have Christopher Reeve play Bizarro. Now, I don't know how true that is. And it feels very similar to Evil Superman then from Superman 3. Yeah. So that, that would be my only thing. It's like, do, you know, we really want to watch Christopher Reeve fight himself again. <laughs> yeah, that's it. I don't think possibly also see Christopher Reeve unless you're going to pay me double I'm not yeah, playing yeah. two parts yeah yeah um, but no yeah it, it, like in all in all intents and purposes it is a bizarro-esque character definitely I, I do like that his creation is basically strapping a cash box to a uh, missile and firing it I do love that Lex, uh, Lex Luthor is a general thing again oh yeah he loves great. playing dress up love it like he's a master of disguise and there's that bit where the the control guy's like, oh, we've got a weather problem. And Lexus turns around and goes, oh, code FN1329er, abort, or, or, or uh, proceed or something. Your man goes, okay, counting down 10, 9, 8. And then Lex just comes over and it's presses the button. the button. I love when the missile flies over and he goes, it missed us. Missed us. Like, oh, brilliant. It just brought a bit of zest to that scene that could have just been nothing. Like, yeah. just little moments like that. I'm like, you know what? Superman 4 is a movie. <laughs> People always tell me it's not a movie. It's a movie. Now, like I said, it's a lot of fun to be adding it. It's, it's stupid and it defies logic. Lexi being able to breathe in space. Superman pushing the moon out of orbit to block out the yeah. sun. We've talked we've talked at length about Superman's bullshit powers that don't exist and how, you know, maybe he can pass his powers on to others. Superman's always been able to breathe in space in these movies. Lacey can breathe in space too. Done. In, in an age where we're at 10 Fast and Furious movies... And physics and all other logic have slowly disappeared over those films. I mean, you touched on it as well. We get a surprise Jim Broadbent cameo. Oh my goodness. Who, I don't know if this is pre him being Detective Inspector Slater in Only Fools and Horses or not, but. I mean, it could have been, it could have been the same. It literally could have gone from this set over to, yeah. you know, like that's. Whenever I see that era, Jim Broadbent, all I get in my head is Detective Inspector Slater. <laughs> Um, like, and obviously he's next to Bill Hookins, who was the BBC Radio Superman. Uh, Superman, Lex Luthor. The great William Hookins, yes. Porkins. Porkins, and, uh, Eckhart. Eckhart. Eckhart, sir. Top uh, men. Um, yeah, really good in this. You know, the sun is blinding my eyes, Luthor. <laughs> Again, any excuse to talk about the BBC Radio ones on? If I can swing it back mm -hmm. to it. There's one big thing that we will come on to, which is where this film was made. Um, Let's do the opening credits quickly because I did mention them before. They look cheap. Ah, uh, they look shite. Yeah, they, they look, look cheap as anything. They've yeah. done a weird remix of the Superman theme that. Yeah. 
You're like, oh, it's going to get to that. No, it's swung back around to this bit. What's going on? And it, it looks like something you might create in Windows Movie Maker, if you remember <laughs> that, from like the <laughs> mid-2000s. It, it really looks bad. It's like, look what we've done with paint. <laughs> and, and you're kind of like, you know, is there is there a way you could have done this on the cheap or just cheated it? Like, do we even the planet looks weirdly kind of rendered or something? I know it's not CGI, but it looks like early 2000s CGI. <laughs> Or, or like something from a bad PlayStation 2 game or something. It just, everything about it looks strange. And it's yeah. the one thing, like there's that famous quote from Mark Rosenthal, who does a commentary on the DVD, by the way, a really, really interesting comedy and our commentary. And literally the first thing he says is, as soon as the film starts, you know something's wrong. <laughs> and you're like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it looks really bad. It, it does. It's like they didn't even style it out. They just... It was very much a, yeah, that'll do. Yeah. It's like, now, look, we've we, we got 20 minutes till the premiere. Can you just chuck some of that? You, you mentioned the music there now. Okay. And I will admit it's mixed weirdly in that scene. And it always sounds a bit tinny or something like that. The actual score for this film by Alexander Courage with certain themes written by Mr. Johnny Williams is second to none. Yeah. It might actually be my favorite Superman score. It's so good. I've heard that the sound and the, the music in the film sounds a lot worse than it does on the disc and there's yeah, speculation think, that they use the wrong recordings or I think on the film. I think that might be true of the opening theme, all right. I, yeah. I don't know if it's true the whole score, but... Uh, it might just be that, yeah. I think across the board, however the movie, the audio mix in the movie, it, it, yeah, the, the, the score doesn't sound as good as it sounds when you actually go back and listen to it on the CD. It just sounds amazing. There's a, the, the, I mentioned the Superman and Lois flying around the world scene that's called fresh air on the soundtrack i listen to that all the time it's yeah. the best rendition of the love theme so good some of the lex Luthor stuff is great in the in the on the score it's really expanded out and they do much more with it than they did in in superman one or two the nuclear man theme is badass like there's loads of really really great music in this really good yeah i really need to get that blue box of the four film soundtracks together and the ruby spears soundtrack just oh, yeah. waiting to find it at a reasonable price. Um, all right, then. Sorry, that, that's another thing I'll, I'll just say. Superman 3 music, terrible. It's really, yeah. really bad. The Giorgio Moroder Superman theme is disgraceful. It's so terrible. <laughs> and there's a weird love theme for Lana on that. And it's like, it just, all of it is bad. Sorry. <laughs> that's all I want to say. Um, all right, then. Because it shows up a lot in this film, and you and I separately have done pilgrimages there. Yeah, Milton Keynes is Metropolis. Yeah, baby. <laughs> Which is so bizarre, especially now I've been there as well. It's bizarre, but it just it's one of the things that makes the movie so fascinating. Yeah. And it never, ever, ever occurred to me as a child that anything <laughs> anything was amiss in terms of where it was filmed. It no, always... especially when you look at them recreating the Kent farm. They, yeah. they do a really nice job with that. Absolutely, like uh, that—that's a relatively recent thing that I learned that it wasn't even filmed anywhere near where they filmed it. I think it was Calgary where they filmed that in the yeah. movie. Whereas here, it's yeah, somewhere up the road from Milton Keynes, isn't it? Yeah, I think it was. I've discovered that from that Oliver Harper video, which I'll put a link to in the show notes, where he goes around some of the locations. That but... that video was crucial when I went there. I was literally using that as a reference, as well as the movie itself, obviously. But when I went, I was literally watching him describe. You know, because he gives a bit more of a 360 look at how to access certain areas and stuff. Um, 
But yeah, it's a fascinating place. And it it hasn't really changed that much. It looks no. a lot like it did in Superman 4. Yeah, because there's a weird thing. I don't know if you had it, a feeling like you're stood where Christopher Reeve was stood. 100%, especially... They might have changed the slabs completely, but there's just that weird sense that... Yeah, it's the point it's... where it's almost disappointing that Milton Keynes haven't leaned into it and popped up a Superman statue or... Big time. Yeah, like, especially... Or on a think... Superman festival or something. I think we're talking about the same thing where outside the Sainsbury's corporate office, there's these um, concrete um, pillars or, or bollards or whatever you want to call them. And they are just identical to the way they looked in the film in 1987. And you can pinpoint the exact one that Christopher Reeve stood on and stepped off and flew into the air because it's like positioned behind the door. And like, it could only be that one. Yeah. So I there's literally a selfie of me with, with that in the background. And yeah, like the Sainsbury's corporate office, like the the lifts are the exact same. The the, the I think the revolving door is still the same. And then there's Duncan Bannatyne's gym. Which yeah, is... I did that one because we couldn't find that. And in the end, a bloke in the estate agents came out and went, you're looking for something. Yeah. And my wife was like, you can tell him. And I was like, yeah, they filmed some Superman 4 around here. I'm looking for the bit that was the museum. And he was like, oh, I don't know. He went in and asked the older bloke who I could see through the glass just being like, oh, another one of these guys. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's over there. <laughs> Amazing. Like that looks the same. It's just they there used to be an escalator. There was an escalator in the movie. Yeah. Escalator's gone now. Other than that, like even if you look up at the ceiling in that building, it's got that weird kind of white filtered ceiling. I don't know what you call it. And then you go into the the greenhouse area where they used for the National uh, History Museum. And that just looks exactly the same as it does. Yeah, because we were in there and the my wife was like, we can't really stand here for too long. There's people working out of there. They're just going to think you're looking at them. Yeah. I was and like, all right, quick photo. And Again, seeing the steps that Gene Hatburn and John Cryer yeah. come down, it's just a weird little moment. It's And it's really warm in there, isn't it? Yeah. It's really, really hot. And you're going, Gene Hackman was wearing that heavy, like, Letterman jacket. God, he must have been roasting. But yeah, and and I think, I, I feel like I've told you this before. There, There's um the bit where the, the quote-unquote UN is, which is the, just the Milton Keynes train station. Yeah. And it's also where Superman does the press um, conference at the end. Yeah, because I got my wife to take a photo of me doing this with my Superman yeah. t-shirt on, which I saw... I, I'll put on the website when where this episode goes up. And I'll send you I've one of me doing the exact same thing. And I saw a guy wearing a suit. It wasn't you. I saw a guy wearing a Superman t-shirt there that day. And he was going around taking photos. And I went up to him and I was like, are you and I here for the same reason? And he was like, yeah, I think so. And we had this great chat about Superman. Full Iron Man is his name. He's a cosplayer. He does kids' birthdays and stuff. We had a great old chat. And it was like, and and he told me that when he went to the Sainsbury's corporate office, the security guard kicked him out. <laughs> so they'd obviously seen me skulking around being creepy and thought, well, we're not letting any more of these weirdos in. Um, yeah, I didn't do the Sainsbury's corporate office. We did the train station and Duncan Bannatyne's gym. And I'm pretty sure when they do the press conference with uh, Jeremy, is that inside the shopping centre? Because it looks like that area but that I, shopping center might be too new i'm not sure i did think it was inside the shopping center and then when i was watching it today again i noticed that she comes down the same lift i think it's in the same hotel uh set which is the sainsbury's corporate office yeah because it's like a big area in the shopping center that's open up for events and it yeah. did look a bit like that but i wasn't 100 sure because we went my friend had gone to the sci-fi museum that's in milton Keynes. i was like oh, we should go to that. The boys will enjoy that. 
secretly being like, but then I can do a Superman 4 recce. <laughs> Um, and in that museum, they've got a couple of Superman bits. They've got a Kryptonian Elders outfit, Perfect. which does not look anywhere near as good as it looks on film. And they had a couple of newspaper bits, but nothing Superman 4 again. Yeah, like Somebody should do a petition for him to put up a Christopher Reeve Superman statue. See, I, I have heard, though, that like a lot of these British productions, especially in the 80s back then, and stuff, they just chucked everything afterwards. It all went yeah. to the bin. Like, nothing was kept. And that's why... Well, I know a lot of the Superman stuff was saved by... You had him on your podcast. Oh, Martin Layton. Yes. Yeah, I th- I think him and then Alexi Lamley Steel and there's there's a few of those guys. And I know Jim Bowers was telling us once that um someone contacted him. Once. Yes, it was Jim Bowers. Sorry, they said they were chucking all the stuff out. Did he want it? They were just going to throw it all away. And you're going, oh my God. And that's I think the same is true of Batman eighty nine. Like you see, like. It's rarer that you see things that are actually from that film than, for example, Batman Returns or Batman Forever, which were all shot in America. Um, and I think that that could have been why. I think they threw a lot of it away, which is but, really sad. I suppose you think back to the early days of comics. Well, not even that early, sort of like yeah. the 70s onwards. They just used to throw all comic pages away Madness. or use them as ink plotters or to mop up coffee or spills in the office. Do you think no, all no, that comics, art that's lost? Artwork. Yeah. Ugh. I think it was only when like uh, Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams came in that kind of, what are you doing? What the hell is this? Yeah. Like, you know, you could get some extra cash from selling this. It's a great scene in Milton Keynes. There's a couple of bits like the fight on Main Street, which is on is it the L Street back lot, where basically downtown Metropolis is a single story building that looked like old warehouses. It's As... like pop a matte painting in, lads, just something. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 a, it's like the equivalent of the what we'd see a couple of years later on Lois and Clark. It's yeah. like just this one story city. It's really strange. Um, yeah, because I always got with Lois and Clark. It's like, how high up is the Daily Planet floor? Because yeah. it, it feels like they go up for ages, but when you see yeah. the building from the outside. Because the back of the newsroom in, in Lois and Clark, there's this cityscape yeah. uh, window thing that makes it look like, yeah, it's a skyscraper or whatever. And then you see the exterior, like, no, it's not. And then there's like one or there's a couple of episodes where they do have matte paintings in Lewis and Clark, and then they cut back to the scene later on in like the same episode, and the matte painting won't be there, and you're like, oh, lad. yeah. <laughs> like on the topic of Lewis and Clark, like that was that was the first version of Superman that I watched as a kid. Yeah. So going from that to Superman four, like it, it did feel like a step up. It felt like, you know, it felt bigger and better, and unlike this kind of TV version I was used to, you know. Yeah. No, I can see that. Like, it is those bits that then make it feel a bit TV again. But yeah, but um, then, but then to counter that point, there the the train rescue at the start of Superman <laughs> Four. They do a very similar train rescue in Superman in Lois and Clark. Clark. Yeah, and it's much better. <laughs> like, why is this much better on a TV budget compared to? I think because that looks so much like a London underground, or not even a London one, but like a smaller metropolitan city kind of underground. Yeah, tube but... station it feels like a tube station rather than a subway station i know that's a weird differentiation to make but but then you know like to stop the train superman just puts his foot on the track and like electricity comes out and you're like what new strange power is this whereas in dean kane we actually see him like physically yeah fly in front of the train push his hands against it and stop it and like sparks coming out of his boots it's a really kick-ass scene i do like that, that train driver has clearly had a very bad heart attack as in very badly acted heart attack and christopher reeve just goes in and goes yeah he's fine just needs a doctor 
my my friend Parker, for whatever reason, as a kid watching that scene, he always thought that the train driver was played by Michael Keaton. <laughs> I don't know why. It's like maybe the back of his hair. It's kind of the black curly hair. Yeah. Uh, there you go. He had that eight his Keaton mullet. What do you think of the Daily Planet set in this? Because obviously the Daily Planet is a key set and it's obviously different from Superman the movie. It never occurred to me that it was. And again, it's one of those things that people complain about. And I'm always like, it, is it not the same set as the first? Like, it's just really interesting economic use of whatever they had available to them. And in my mind's eye, it, it's never distracting to me that it's a different building altogether. Yeah. I find it weird. In some, the actual newsroom bit looks like a newsroom. Yeah. Not quite as bustly as it is. There's not, doesn't seem to be as much life in it as there is in the Donner one. Mm. Um, or even some of the early Lois and Clark episodes. But then there are other shots where it looks like it's just an accountant's in Milton Keynes <laughs> in the background. Or yeah. like the boardroom looks a little bit like it's a yogurt factory and that's where uh. they do all the training meetings. <laughs> the health and safety video on in the background. And it's I think possibly it's partly because once you know it's Milton Keynes, yeah. you start to see it with that Milton yeah. Keynes. Because as a kid like you, I was like, America looks amazing. Metropolis. Because the I only just... office I'd ever been in was where my dad worked, so that was my only point of reference for an office, and all offices look the same, let's face it. And and to that point, one of the things I noticed watching it this morning, and this is, I've never noticed this before, there's a lot of product placement in this, and there's product placement for products that you couldn't get in the UK or Ireland. There's checks, there's a bottle of checks, or a box of checks, Yeah. in Lois's apartment, uh, which I believe is like a Shreddies type thing, like cereal. Yeah, I think so. There's a there's a planter's peanut man behind Lex Luthor in his uh, cavern over by his kind of mini bar. He's got a thing of planter's nuts. And what else did I see? A lot of Pepsi. Now, obviously, we have Pepsi over here, but there's a lot of Pepsi in this movie compared to Coca-Cola and the other ones. Um, there's a couple of other. And then the, the obviously the New York cabs, they all have American products on the top of them. Um, just thought that was interesting. Like I, again, just kind of tricking your mind's eye into thinking this is America. <laughs> it was a great bit in the deleted scene, the Clive Mantle fight, where he smashes through a Burger King thing, then something else, and then I think he hits a Pepsi thing. It's yeah. like that's three bits of product placement just with Superman smashing through all three of it. Cha-ching. It feels a little bit like that Wayne's World bit was kind of like, we got to get the product placement in somewhere. We'll make a joke about it, but in this is just kind of like, just have Superman smash through the three, and then they've got their screen time. Mm-hmm. Like, people always make fun of James Bond. Like, product placement is a big part of Superman movies as well. Like, uh, maybe a bit more so than other superheroes. Like, I, you know, other than McDonald's and Batman Forever, I can't really think of much product placement in the Batman movies. But in Superman, there's constantly, like, it's... On Superman the movie, there's a lingering shot on the TV and the suntan lotion next to it. Yeah, there's... When Miss Tessmarker's um, sunbathing in the Lex's lair. Marta Kent has the Cheerios. Yeah. There's Marlboro, like... Um, trying to think, there's a KFC in Superman three. I always remember, and uh, obviously Popeye's chicken in Supergirl, and then skipping ahead, you have Gillette in Man of Steel and Justice League, and ice cold Budweiser beer in both Superman Returns <laughs> and Man of Steel. I'm really hoping we see an ice cold Budweiser beer in Superman Legacy just to complete yeah. the trilogy. Clark does enjoy a ice cold Bud. Ice cold Budweiser beer available now. King of beers, America. God bless America. America. It's a terrible beer. Don't drink it. I, yeah, I know you don't I, drink. So I don't you drink. Don't, so. You'll never have that problem. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I did used to. If you want a reference for work, forget it! That's a good bit. You know, with my brains and uh, your, frankly, your brawn. 
the possibilities are absolutely staggering. You know, I, I could be president, emperor, king. Do you see how scared those guys are? And what do you fear? What? Now? With Superman dead and you're on my team? It's like I'm the coach and you're the best power forward ever. What's to fear? I love that he drops Lenny off at boys' time. God, yeah. Oh my goodness gracious. And and I, I only saw there was another story, not to darken the topic of discussion here, but there was another story there yesterday about this huge expose in Chicago of like 1,900 children were abused by the Catholic Church. I'm like, Lenny Luther, stop, yeah. come back. Yeah, even watching that today, I was like, that's probably not as safe as you think it is there, Clark. <laughs> and I feel like, in a weird way, I've always thought that that might be a reference to the movie Boys Town. Do you remember that movie? I don't. It rings a bell, but... It's like an old black and white movie about some, you know... Uh, troubled youth who goes to a, a boy's town and the the mentor there who I is probably a priest I can't remember the movie that well and there's this famous line in the movie where he goes there's no such thing as a bad boy or something like that and then in the in Superman 4 he says you know everyone is everyone can be redeemed Superman or something like that it's a similar line and maybe I'm adding up dots here that aren't there I don't know but I've always thought that watching that scene I gather it's it's an iconic old movie boy's town if you look it up yeah, I'll uh, look into it. And then they just reuse the final shots from Superman the movie, don't they? For the fly into space? Yeah. That's not uh, reshot, is it? I don't think it's ever reshot in any of them, though. I think it's always the same thing. Apart from Superman Returns. Yeah, no, I, I, I think it's always the same one, yeah. But you, you kind of wonder, it's like... So not only do the Sawkinds give them the rights to the character, do they also give them that footage? It's like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, because there's stuff in the deleted scenes, like um, Clark's morning, he wakes up from a dream of Krypton being destroyed, where it's not Marlon Brando's voice, it's somebody else's Jor-El, and then you see the ship going up and the glass smashing down. And That's really interesting. I, I wanted to talk about the deleted scenes. Can we can we move on yes. to that now? Yes, yeah. Uh, that's really interesting, because there is a fan edit of this film that I highly recommend watching called Superman 4, The Quest for Coherence. And basically... The, the purpose of the fan edit is basically all the available deleted footage put back into the film in the order in which it was meant to be seen. Uh, and that scene stood out to me watching it because I just assumed, well, this fan editor has obviously just gone back to Superman the movie and plunked these scenes in. So it's interesting to see that, that no, they're actually there on the DVD. Yeah. I, I'm not going to just, I'm not going to pretend that the deleted scenes magically make the movie better, but they do well, make yeah. the movie better. Because that was going to be my question. Is there a better cut of this film out there? I, I do think the quest for coherence is going to be my go-to cut for Superman 4 because I, I while I do I do think the Nuclear Man 1 stuff is a bit superfluous and doesn't really add anything, I think all the extra Lex Luthor stuff is just box office. Some of the best, best Lex Luthor scenes ever are in those deleted scenes. I love in that deleted scene, again, it's the Clive Mantle one where he's looking through the Daily Planet. It's like, this paper used to be something. Yeah. My favorite Lex Luthor line said by Gene, it's he goes to the the Pentagon and he says, well, everyone knows that uh, world peace is just a communist plot. And then he goes to the Kremlin and he goes, comrades, world peace is just a capitalist plot. <laughs> it's amazing. It's so good. <laughs> and uh, and there's all this stuff like, you know, you see Lex Luthor's trial and William Hookins is his lawyer and he gets him out of it. And there's all this like news footage about Nuclear Man and it really makes the movie feel bigger, like all that stuff. And there's a lot more sort of stuff where, you know, Nuclear Man's in love with Lacey and 
and then that that all that extra stuff of blows flying that I was talking about earlier on, that's all in there. Again, it still would have been a mess. It still would have been a crazy, weird, bad film that, that wouldn't have performed well. And I think they were probably right to cut all the stuff out because 90 minutes means you can show it more. Yeah. But uh, it, it like it is definitely a bit better, I think. The Quest for Coherence is what it's called. De- well worth the watch. Is there anything else you want to touch on this film before we move on to the next sort of thing? I think we've sort of covered the big stuff. Yeah, I mean, I just think it's it's very earnest. And I know I've said a lot about how conceptually it was misguided and all that. I, I think through and through, maybe leaving aside some of the dodgy, problematic mind erasing kiss stuff, like through in every other respect, it's just a really nice Superman character piece. Yeah. Like, and he goes on this proper emotional journey. I think it's it's a, it's an entertaining film for all of its flaws and sometimes because of some of its flaws like they make it more entertaining it's so bad it's good in some scenes and then there's other scenes that are just genuinely good like every time I watch Superman address the UN and say I'm going to rid our planet of all nuclear weapons I just my whole my heart just raises out of my chest <laughs> it's ridiculous like that would not be the reaction Superman would get that everyone would not stand up and cheer but every time I watch it, I'm like, Christopher Reeve, he's so good. I've spoken at length about all the Superman and Lois stuff, Lex Luthor stuff. There's just so much to like about this film. And every yeah. time I watch it, I forget why people don't like it, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think it, it's a bad movie, yes. but I think it's an enjoyable movie. I think for yeah. me, and I don't know if it's because I've come off of recently having watched Superman the movie twice. So I don't know whether just coming off of that, that certain bits of this feel quite flat and stilted at times. Not so much the acting, but some of the action and the set pieces and just everything in general feels a little bit and, muted. And actually, actually, I would agree with that. I think the look of the film, and this is a problem with all three of the Superman sequels, by the way, none of them look like they were shot by Jeffrey Unsworth. It's just so lavish in that first film. It's so epic and cinematic and it's just so gorgeous. And then you go on to Superman 2 and it suddenly looks like a sitcom from the 70s. And that 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 is a continuing problem in the, in this film. Like that, even that lovely scene of Superman talking to Lois, it's just this really blank, flat, you know, two shot and like shot reverse shot. It's it's really blank and flat. Whereas in that first film, it everything looked magical. But yeah, it's like even the fortress in this just looks. Oh god, <laughs> it looks so tiny. There's no sense of scale or all to it. It's just who are those lads they got as Kryptonian? I know. Betrayed, betrayed, betrayed. It's like Christmas Carol. Oh my goodness. It's like the local Amdram of Christmas Carol. <laughs> Marley and Marley. Because, you know, my point of reference is always that it's Christmas Carol. Yeah, you got to put Statler and Waldorf in. <laughs> Elders. In fact, go. if you put Statler and Waldorf in just Aaron over Price, that scene. Aaron Price, if you're listening, you know, his whole thing is going back into Superman 4, changing things up and making it look better. Statler and Waldorf in that fortress. Scene. Keep the dialogue, but I want Statler and Waldorf there. Love it. I've not really touched on sequels though, so I've been doing them individually, but this is a different case because for years, even after Lois and Clark died, they were trying to get a Superman 5 with Christopher Reeve off the ground. Mm. I remember every so often in Looking Magazine, they talk about, you know, Christopher Reeve is keen to do Superman 5 or they've got this great idea of Superman. Would you have liked to have seen the Christopher Reeve Superman universe continue? Where would you like to have seen it go if it had? Do you think it would have got better again or selfishly yes 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 and no i i i i do not think i think i think it was a a train with no station or, or whatever that quote was that kevin sujihara had about the snyderverse it was never going to end well basically i i think it was time to say goodbye uh would i've liked to see another one hell yes and in fact there is a script written by carrie bates who worked on the superboy show 
and it's an interesting little script. Brainiac is the villain. Bottle City of Candor is in there. It's fine. It's a fun little script. But crucially, 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 the film ends with Superman and Lois getting married and flying into space and smiling at the camera together. And I'm like, that's the definitive ending of the Christopher Reeve films yeah. for me. And that's that's canon in my head. That actually happened, and I love it. Yeah, because obviously we got the Superman 78 comic that explored Brainiac and that with mixed results. I think it was better than the Batman 89 comic. But the, I think... the problem that comic had is that the page didn't translate the performances of the actors. I think it's very difficult different reading a line that Christopher Reeve would have said to hearing Christopher Reeve deliver that line. Yeah, I, I, there's a couple of things. I, I think in that comic, and we did an episode on this, in that comic, I don't think Superman really speaks like Christopher Reeve Superman, and the yeah. dialogue isn't snappy enough. It doesn't feel like Tom Mankiewicz like dialogue. The other big problem I have with it, the, the Brainiac stuff is all fine in that it's just all, there's no emotional meat to the story at all. Like, there's no real emotional journey in it. There's no character arc. Like, even Superman 4, one of the worst superhero movies ever made, has this really substantial character arc. Yeah. Like, there's nothing, nothing really happens. He doesn't really go on any kind of big... And, and I feel like they kind of went into it going, well, those old Christopher Reeve movies, they were just good fun. Let's just make a good, fun Superman story with no substance. <laughs> and that's exactly what it is. I think the problem these things have had, I mean, we're going off on a tangent slightly about the comics, is that... They looked at the success of the Batman 66 comic, but the beauty of that Batman 66 comic was that it yeah. captured the spirit of the show. Mm, whereas yeah, yeah, yeah. both Batman 89 and Superman 78 felt a bit more like a modern sensibility on and then trying to reimpose it to that and mix the two. And it just didn't quite gel yeah. for me. I, I, I would emphatically agree the, the Batman 89 one especially felt like that. It felt like it didn't really feel like it was trying to evoke the Burton films at all. It just felt like Sam Hamm trying to write a Christopher Nolan movie in a weird yeah. way. Um, now, I actually found that one interesting. Like, it didn't it didn't really line up with Batman or Batman Returns at all, but I thought it was an interesting little Batman story on its own right. And the two I quite enjoyed it. I quite liked the little gag about the pretend Batman. One looked like yeah. Val Kilmer, one looked like George Clooney, one was, was like, that was a nice little bit. But The Superman one, I felt like the art was great, and there was loads of panels that were clearly lifted from shots in the movies. And that's all fine, but it just didn't really do anything substantial. And I think a big thing people forget about these movies is actually they they did have substantial character stuff in them that I would have liked to have seen developed a bit more in that comic. And I, I think it was a missed opportunity. Now they are doing another one, so maybe they'll yeah, maybe maybe they'll do something a bit meatier in that. But I just that was where it missed the mark for me. There's nothing yeah. nothing really to write home about. But yeah, I mean obviously Christopher Reeve's accident pretty much put paid to any there were rumors for a little while that it was going to be christopher reeve regenerating into dean kane because but then that whole thing was going to be dean kane flying off into space at the end of season three of lois and clark and coming back as a different actor in season four and i need to see these weird magazines you had man that's it was like in sfx and all those things it just any i mean this is pre-internet as well so by the time they printed it it was already old yeah they seem to have ideas and i think it's part of the problem with superman returns is that, that Doniverse time had passed. The comics had moved on by that point, particularly by the point they were trying to get a Superman 5 going. We were into the burn era. Yes. It's a whole if, new generation of Superman fans. And in fact, Superman 4 had come out as like a year after yeah. the reboot. So yeah, like it was a very different landscape. And yeah, and and that's that's again going back to Lois and Clark. It's just so great that we have this series so soon after that reboot that it yeah. just captures so much of what was so good about it and what it was it was time to move on and i think you kind of get the sense of that in a lot of those scripts from the 90s like 
Superman Reborn and then obviously Superman Lives. Like they were really trying to go in a new, different direction. It was maybe a little bit less earnest and a little bit more kind of rugged and badass. And like, this is a, again, a topic for another day, but I really feel like if they'd gotten that out of their system in the 90s, there might have been a great Superman series in the 2000s because they spent so long trying to get that badass version off the ground. Like it didn't, I think Man of Steel was them finally doing that. And a lot of the stuff John Peters talks about in the Superman Lives documentary, you can really see parallels in, in Man of Steel. And I think it's only now, finally, like a lifetime for me later that they're they're finally going, well, actually, maybe those Christopher Reeve movies were onto something. Maybe we should just do Superman like that. Yeah, I mean, I'll always take the movie that was never made over what, we, or not over what we got, but as well as what we got. Yes. I, I'd rather, I'd love to see the stuff. I mean, admittedly, you know, there's a world where Superman 4 never happened and there's a... Mm. You and I are on a podcast going, Superman 4 would have been amazing. He was going to fight yeah. a guy with nuclear powers. Absolutely. Um, but I'd rather, you know, to see it actually exist would be amazing. But like I say, I think, and poor Mark McClure, by, by that point, he would have been like 45. And well, gee, Mr. Kent. <laughs> they'd have to do a story where somebody stole his youth. and. <laughs> oh, God, 45 years old, Dave McFly. You look at him in Superman the movie, how young and fresh-faced and boyish he is and just, he ages so much. I mean, it's like 10 years later by Superman 4, but yeah. But there's, yeah. A so there's a big difference between 21 and 31, isn't yeah, there? Yeah, yeah. It's, some people can get away with it, but unfortunately, Mark wasn't one of them. But, you know, great at what he did still. And like I said, I, I do love, love that scene, him, Lois and Clark, just stood around waiting for Superman to arrive. Just got that little feeling of the old TV show, the old comics. Yeah. So, and Mark McClure, you know, he was the guy that, people could get <laughs> yeah like he was in the supergirl movie and there's these action figure um ads the superpowers i think it was his superpowers toys in the 80s and there's an action figure or uh ad where mark mcclure is jimmy olsen playing with these figures awesome. like he he was the guy that people could afford to you know i'm sure he probably and wasn't he in that um 50th anniversary special thing they did in 1988 the dana carvey one well dana carvey yeah. hosted it Really uh, vaguely terrible. it's been a while since i've seen it that's on the superman 4 disc as well but it's been a long time since i've actually watched it yeah i watched it once it's, it's dreadful <laughs> it's it's very much a 1988 tv special it feels like it was written by people in their 60s or 70s who were familiar with george reeves and nothing else and yeah i've never seen the Reeves movies sounds fair but also yeah i think we've sort of covered everything like i say i it's it's fine to watch it's not it's nowhere near as bad as everyone makes out to be it's definitely not good but I think if you go into it with the right frame of mind, you can have a lot of fun with this film. And then go to Milton Keynes. And then go to Milton Keynes. Absolutely. Yeah, it looked so much fun to be had. I And look, hand, cards on the table. I've seen this film far more than I've seen like literally any Marvel film. And I'll, I will be watching this multiple times a year for the rest of my life. I know it's a comfort movie for me. I just find it so enjoyable, so charming and... You know, I think there's no better way to end this episode than uh, you asking me if the world's going to be vaporized. Is the world going to be vaporized? No, the world's just where we always left it, on the brink. See in 20. So cool. What a great, that, love that exchange. So, yeah, it is. I do like the idea that he got rid of Lenny and then had to go back and pick Lex up. <laughs> yeah, Lex just... It's like, in theory, get rid of your criminal mastermind first and then go back for his less threatening nephew. Never thought of that before. Or maybe he just <laughs> left his car in a tree or something. He just picked it up. <laughs> Love it.
this, this test marker and an air balloon floats by. <laughs> so um, obviously you've got the uh, All-Star Superman pod going, still running and going strong. Like I say, you did the Mark Pillow interview at the time mm-hmm. of recording, some episodes coming up. Yes, we're, uh, so uh, Superman movie fans, we have an interview with Jack O'Halloran, who played Non in Superman 2. That was a lot of fun. We have an interview with Mark Pillow, who played Nuclear Man. Uh, lovely, lovely man. Great stories. Uh, we do have our Man of Steel episode that will be out by the time this goes out. And then we just have loads of interesting kind of cool tidbits, Superman stuff. Uh, Stuart, you were on our episode about the Steel movie, which is a lot of fun. And yeah, there's just loads of bits and pieces. If you like Superman, definitely check us out. It's, it's... Yeah, I recommend the Jim Bowers episode as well if you're a fan yes. of the, and the Martin movie Lakin. stuff. We, yeah. we did a Supergirl episode with Martin Lakin, who's also a really, really fascinating guy. Loves Superman 4. And actually... He was involved in a recreation of some of the scenes that were shot in Milton Keynes. He stood in as Superman and recreated some of the scenes. It's really, really cool. I think it's called Superman 4 Redux or something like that. It's on YouTube and it's a fascinating thing to watch. Does does he walk with a load of children across? That little girl has a look when he's got, he's got, uh, is it Jeremy? I think he's got Jeremy with him and he's got the little girl and the little girls are looking around like, I cannot believe this. I think not only does he have a bunch of children, the, the guy who played the hot dog vendor in the movie came back for that recreation and played the hot dog vendor again. That's awesome. So that's pretty cool. And there's a little interview with him, I believe, on that same YouTube account. So if you look that up, uh, yeah. Superman 4, Martin Lagan, or whatever, you'll probably find it. I say we need to get something going where Milton Keynes embraces the Superman legacy. And actually, by the time this goes out as well, my understanding is that Martin is holding some kind of a Superman 4 celebration in June. Yeah. And you can actually go to Milton Keynes. It's a free event and they're going to just celebrate Superman 4 there. So they're kind yeah. of doing that. Yeah, because I said to the wife, I was like, you know, we went to Milton Keynes. Like, they're doing a proper thing in June. Yeah. Oh, you're joking. I'm not going again. <laughs> no. But... Really big Primark in, in Milton Keynes, though. That's a great, like, that's that's what convinced... Uh, my fiance was able to get her to go because of Primark. Yeah, that's. I don't think that's enough swing for. No, but yeah, no. I mean, I'll put all the links in the show notes for that, and um, hopefully by the time this comes out, my reformatting of the website will have come out. So when I post the episodes on the website now, you'll have links to various YouTube videos and other stuff to check out that's of interest. Awesome! Cheers for doing this. Thank you very much. Great to uh, talk about something I'm so passionate about. No, it's great that, like I say, I wanted to do these. I wanted to find people that were fans of the films because I know there are some that people aren't fans of so and it's great that you know to get it from a fan's perspective what it means to that sort of thing so Mm -hmm. that's kind of what it's about i don't like you know punching down on films on this pod yeah so you know recognize the flaws but don't punch down that's definitely something for us as well because i find when you like if if, it feels satisfying in the moment to kind of punch down and then you kind of listen back to it later on you're like that's really unpleasant to listen to like it's not as kind of fun as you think it is uh, it doesn't feel very Superman, does it? It's... No, no. And like, it's always worth respecting why some people might love something that you don't. I, yeah. I think, yeah. Well, I've always I... said that even the worst movie is somebody's favorite. Yeah. Or at least, you know, how it has some meaning to somebody. So yeah. who, who am I to dump on it kind of thing? So, but yeah, like I say, recognize the faults, but don't punch down. But, you know, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed rewatching the film as well for all its flaws. Yeah. I, I had a good time with it. So, awesome be interesting to see where it comes in my ranking as arbitrary as those things are he says us having just done a james bond one <laughs> yeah <laughs> awesome cheers rob cheers man talk to you soon well once more we've survived the threat of war and found a fragile peace i thought i could give you all the gift of the freedom from war but 
I was wrong. It's not mine to give. We're still a young planet. There are galaxies out there, other civilizations for us to meet, to learn from. What a brilliant future we could have. And there will be peace. There will be peace when the people of the world want it so badly that their governments will have no choice but to give it to them. I just wish you could all see the Earth the way that I see it. Because when you really look at it, it's just one world. Think you'll find us? Never. We'll lay low for a while. A couple of years. I'll come up with a new plan. Whoa, good thing I bought my drums. physics, Luther. While I was recuperating, I had time to figure out that if your foul creature was born from the sun, that had to be a source of energy. Is the world gonna be vaporized? No, Luther. It's as it always was, on the brink, with good fighting evil. See you in 20. That was Superman 4, The Quest for Peace. And why not? I'd like to thank Rob for joining me on the episode to talk about the film. Please do check out the show notes for all the links you need to the All-Star Superfan podcast. At the time of recording, Superman 4 is available in the UK on DVD, Blu-ray and 4K Ultra HD from Warner Brothers, either individually or as part of the Superman Collection box set. It's also available to rent or buy digitally from Prime Video and YouTube. We put a shout out on the socials for your thoughts on and memories of seeing the film, and we had a couple of replies. At DC Movies TV on Twitter said, Saw this in the cinema and the cheaper effects compared with the previous movies were quite apparent, even as a kid. I remember someone in the audience laughing after Superman saves the train and stops to remind everyone that the subway is still the safest way to commute. At John Ottaway on Twitter said, I get the dar things they tried with Superman 3, like having Richard Pryor, who was massive at the time, but they just gave up with this one and I can't help thinking that if they'd taken something from the comics and really invested in it, there'd have been a Superman 5 and a Superman 6. Thank you to everyone who sent in comments for this episode. If you'd like to let us know your thoughts on the film, you can get involved in the conversation wherever you see this episode posted on our social media channels. So if you aren't already, give us a follow on Threads, Twitter and Instagram, or why not join the And Why Not group over on Facebook. Not only will we be kept up to date of what episodes are coming up and have a chance to contribute to them, we also post our picks of three great movies to check out each week on Freeview TV. If you fancy joining us, just search And Why Not Pod on social media or check out the links in the show notes. If you enjoyed this episode and be bothered to do so, please give the episode a share and tell your friends about it. And why not give the series a follow or subscribe over on Acast or wherever you listen to the episodes. If you're feeling super generous, we'd be grateful of a rating or review if you have a second or two to spare. Or don't, we're just grateful that you spent the time listening to us. And if you enjoy podcasts talking about Superman, I've put some links in the bonus features section on this episode's page on the Haunted Nerds website for you to check out, as well as a link to the Superman homepage. So if you're looking for more Superman goodness, there's a good place to start right there. 
If you've missed any Amoyna episodes so far, you can find them on our podcast channel over on Acast, Apple Music, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Good Pods, or on our website at hauntednerds.com. In the meantime, we're back in a couple of days on Friday the 4th of August, where I'll be taking Always Hold On to DC's Legends of Tomorrow host Matt Truex from The Wave Rider and dropping him back into 90s Metropolis as we discuss the 1993 pilot of Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman. But until then, this has been a Nerds Haunted Themselves production, and I've been Stuart Moraine. Thanks for listening, and remember... If you didn't buy it from Jean-Pierre, you didn't buy it on the Black Market. Bye for now.